Welcome to Good Setters Podcast, where we meet some of the most interesting people on the planet that get good stuff done. So sit back and relax, grab an herbal tea as we talk faith, family, and entrepreneurship. Hey everybody, welcome to Good Setters Podcast, where today we're talking about men raising men. And hey, it's just uh, ZP and I here, right, Matt? Uh-oh. <laughs> the ladies are gone. It's a dude party. I mean, the girls <laughs> knocked it out of the park last week, and they said, hey, why don't you try to give it a shot this week and speak some truth to the, the good setters that are listening to us, but uh, that's a hard act to follow, right? I'm saying. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll give it a run, though. How about that? Yeah, that, that's cool. Uh, so how was your week? Uh, week was a normal week, man. Just uh, just back to the grind. Uh, played music this week, so I had a full day of playing music today. Today's Sunday, so I guess whenever this airs, it'll be Monday, right? Um, yeah. But let me talk to you, though. Um, was that pass yesterday, Florida versus Tennessee, was it a Hail Mary or was it just a – I mean, it, <laughs> no, it, it was a designed play, and he caught it in stride. So I don't know why everyone's like, oh, the Hail Pass. Well, I asked some of my Texas people that, and, and they said, no, Hail Mary is when you're down to the last second and have to get it done. And I said, okay, exactly. fair enough. But it, it wasn't like there were 15 people in the end zone. No. I mean, we caught the Vols on their heels, uh, the yes. mighty Florida Gators victorious. Uh, and I think it's a big piece in getting that team to be confident, that team to going forward to really uh, make an impact in the SEC. I'm saying. <laughs> Let me tell you what, though, that, that was Felipe Franks's grand entrance to the stage. I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and say that. I think he's, uh, he needed that man. He needed a confidence boost. So hashtag go Gators, go Gators and hashtag I play drums. So you're a drummer and you serve uh, God that way at true North church, a great church and church in North Augusta, South Carolina. So I heard you were playing a lot of 16th notes today. Oh gosh. So we had a, um, we had an outro section that had, you know, two progressions, at least 30 plus bars. And um, we, we rehearsed these things every single week on Thursdays and then four or five times on Sunday. And you, know, you can do it right a hundred times, but you know, when you get in the zone and you know, you got people worshiping with you, we, uh, we came out of that last chorus and I wasn't supposed to go to the 16th notes on the kick drum. So I essentially was just running the entire time for about a minute. It was fun though. I mean, it, it was, it was really cool to just get the, yeah. flowing so, so for our non-musician friends, what that means is his, his right leg playing the bass drum on the pedal is, is going really fast for about a minute and a half. And uh, <laughs> were, were you tired or did you, did you last? Did you make it? Uh, I'm, I definitely made it when I came out of that outro section. Luckily, we had a video and then had about a 30-second break before the next song. So I was able to, you know, you know stretch out my legs. Stand <laughs> up, do squats. Figure out how to get, keep going. But, you know, that's the difference between me, like a worship drummer, and then like those hardcore drummers that do that just for hours yeah. all the time. So Yeah, big respect. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, as I mentioned, we're talking today about men raising men. And 
I want to start with kind of your early years, Zach, and some of the things uh, you remember and what were some of your like earliest childhood memories? You know, I, I can think about when I was a kid, what those would be, but I'm interested with you and I, uh, for you uh, out there that don't know, um, Zach is my son and you're what, 25 now, right? Yeah, I'm 25. Yeah, I'll be 48 next month. So I was a young father. I, I think I was 20, 21 when Zach was born, uh, 1992. So talk about some of your earliest childhood memories and and how they impacted you. Um, goodness, uh, really childhood memories, man. We, we were always about um, doing stuff together. And I think the key with, with our family was we our goal was always to enjoy one another. And so, you know, the discipline was always a thing and, you know, raising us upright was always, uh, the goal, but the goal, the ends of that goal was to enjoy each other. And so, I mean, my memories with you, um, going out to the ballpark and, and you were of course a young buck when you were, uh, when I was a little guy. And so we, we, be at the ball field all the time and you know, you'd show up in your, you know, dress to the nines, black slacks, tie, you know, business shirt just came off a good day of making it happen. And then you were, you were the first one willing to jump in and uh, get eye level, get eye level with me. And uh, I think that's, that's important. Just, just getting eye level with, uh, with the kids. And I, I've got memories of, um, you know, playing ball and you know, we on a Friday afternoon go to the batting cages when nobody was there and, you know, find baseballs. And that was kind of one of our things we'd like to do because, uh, you know, you'd have all these little leaguers and semi-pro players that would just leave baseballs in the batting cage. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> we were like hunters and gatherers. We were just looking for ball, free balls, you know, That's free funny. balls. That's all you got to do. It's the same with golf, man. Cause we, we, you take me golfing <laughs> and you were just like, Hey, all those old guys, they always hit their shots. Right. So whenever you'd hit a good shot, <laughs> we just take that golf cart and just ride along the right side. Like, ah, there's one hop out. That's right. <laughs> it's a, we always had the under over ratio. You know, we started out with 12, Golf balls. What do we at? Uh, 14. We're plus two today. We, we may plus. have hit four in the river, you know. Oh, but. you found eight of them, man. I'm telling you what. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, I think, I think uh, I've been asked before, do you raise children the same way, girls and boys? And I, and I would say absolutely not. And I think that God has made men and women very distinctly different, equal of value, but just with different uh, with different responsibilities and different things. Um, so I definitely remember raising both of you very different. Um, and I, I think that's something to be celebrated, you know, the difference in gender, you know, we, we have been, men have been feminized somewhat over the last hundred years where we go to school and typically it's a woman being taught by a woman, nothing wrong with that. But, um, we go to Sunday school and it's typically taught by a woman. We go uh, to, to this or that, you know, and it's just, we, we've lost that. Hey, get down on the level of your boy, take him out, teach him how to hunt and how to gather metaphorically, you know, um, but just, but teaching what it means to be an adventurer and maybe more importantly, a conqueror. Mm -hmm. Did that, does that resonate with you at all? 
Yeah, and I think really you created an environment, a safe place to where I could cut my teeth and figure out what the world was and, and, and where my place was in it. Um, and it really all that had to do was um, not not putting the pressures of that world that you're talking about um, on me, especially at an early age, like like in second grade. I remember you were um, having issues with one of my teachers that that claimed that, you know, I was ADD and it. You know, of course, here I am now. I don't have ADD. I've I've, I've graduated college and I, you know, have started a career and you know I think it was just a pure diagnosis of well maybe the kid's just seven years old in the second grade and you know boys haven't been meant to sit in a classroom for seven hours a day for most of human history Mm -hmm. and it's a relatively new thing that we're asking these young kids to do in the name of uh what uh society a decent society yeah right yeah, was it like the uh, you know industrialization of America, where you know everybody you know started working inside and you know working on the assembly line, and um, you know I think I think a lot of that I'm sure people m- more smarter than I am can figure that out of what what actually happened where we stopped apprenticing our kids. That's why I love the trades. You know, I I have painters from time to time come in the house or flooring guys. And, and I love to see a father and son working with their hands in a, in a skilled trade. And I think, I think they get it. I think they understand that they are, are passing on something valuable. This is how our family makes money. And that what they may not understand is they're, they're growing men in, in the meantime, they may not understand that, but they're teaching their kids how to work hard, how to be responsible for themselves Mm-hmm. And, and and stop stop blaming other people you know I got a job and I got laid off that's the company's fault well no you chose that job and you knew there was a risk you wouldn't be working for that that job all your life or, or if there was a downturn you may get fired but we don't frame things typically that way we tend to put the responsibility on something else and, and that's part of I think you know growing up men is men in your family, uh, you know, as a spiritual leader of your home, as the financial leader in your home, the buck stops with you. And you know what I mean? You got to take personal responsibility Mm -hmm. for what happens to you. Now you also have to take responsibility on how you react to things that may not go your way. I got laid off. Okay. There's a new opportunity out there. Let's start hitting the streets. Right. And if men are not coming alongside men, at a, even at a very early age, then what's going to happen is you're going to blame other people for things that have gone wrong in your life, and you're going to be demasculated, and you're not going to you're not going to fight, you're not going to work anymore. You're, you're going to think everything's somebody else's fault. I didn't get this. So, mm-hmm. and you te- I think you teach that when the kids are young, when they fall. And it's like, I got a boo-boo. I said, yeah, because you fell and you tripped. And that's okay. Just get up and then let's figure out how to not fall the next time. Okay. Right. So anyway. And you said that the buck stops with you. And I, I, I would say that a different way and say, you know, the man's, you've always got to make something happen. You know, you're, you're responsible for making something happen. 
uh, whatever that is. And you can apply it to the situations about jobs, about uh, really anything, because, you know, you can't just wait around and, you know, think that something eventually is going to happen good and wait for it to happen to you. You've got to go out there and make it happen for yourself. And that's part of being a man. Yeah. And that's part of, you know, not relying on anybody else besides God and the, and the people and leverage the people that God has brought into your life. But I think the biggest point early on, you can teach your kid early on to, Hey, I'm sorry you fell. It's not daddy's fault. It's your fault, but that's okay. You can, you can get up and keep going, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, those early years where it's more of a, I won't say authoritarian, but it's more of a strong guidance and the, the, the bumpers are very, you know, they're up in the bowling alley just so you don't like kill yourself. <laughs> you know? But as, as you go into your school years, I think the parental style shifts at that point where we, we, you kind of know what's right and wrong, right? For the most part, not always. You, you just start testing boundaries and you start, but I, I think those years, even starting in, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade on up that the parental style shifts should shift to an encourager. Um, and I think the huge thing that that does is it starts building confidence within a young person. And so a dad saying to his son, uh, Hey dad, I want chicken fingers with fries. No, no, no. You, you, you tell the you look, you look the uh, waitress in the eye and you tell her that you would like the chicken fingers and the French fries, please. Did you remember any of that stuff? Yeah, I remember um, when we were at Second Houston, it's a little bit different, but same thing. Um, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't let me get away from someone saying hi to me. So like when I would uh, come and see you back in the uh, choir area behind um, the worship center at second Houston in the choir ministry had what 200 something plus people. Yeah. And so it was kind of, as a young kid, you probably are meeting new people every time you go. Um, and so you were always, you know, look him in the eye, shake his hand, firm handshake, ask him some questions, engage him in conversation. And that, that was how you, that's how you teach kids how to hold their own, and that's also how you create those boundaries as well, because it's not like, okay, well, daddy's the mouthpiece for me. Right. Right. It's no, no, Zach, Zach's got to talk for himself. If, if someone acknowledges him, dad's not going to answer for him. Um, and of course that gets a little bit more complicated with other things, but uh, the little things that you guys used to always do um, created in, in me uh, specifically, uh, just a confidence of, yeah, I have a voice. Um, yeah, I have opinions. Um, but also you guys were consistent in the fact that uh, you were going to show me what was right and wrong uh, every single time. And I think consistency is the key there. I'm sure you have a lot to say about um, just how being consistent with your discipline and, and then, of course, uh, being respectful of the kid and, and what their opinions, because, you know, they need to be heard as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And, you know, at that point, uh, you know, being in the school years up, up even through high school, it's very valuable to listen to what your kids have to say and your kids will feel a part 
and this is for the audience, but your kids will feel more of a part of the family unit if you bring them in on some important decisions. And we took the consultative approach to managing our family, where we would bring in the kids and we would tell them the problems um, and get their feedback and ask them what they would do. And at the end of the day, it's going to be mom and dad uh, making the decision. Um, but there were a lot of times where we, we said, you know what? I hadn't thought about that, Zach. That's, that's a great idea. Let's, we're gonna, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> you remember any of those times? I really don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a long time ago. But do you remember being in that situation where you, you kind of acted as a consultant, you know, to the family? Yeah, definitely just, you know, because, I mean, we, we were always eating dinner and those dinner table conversations would, would last for hours. And um, that that's something I wish um, society in general would get back to because I remember you would get home six o'clock or so from work in the early days when we were still in Houston. Um, and, you know, mom would have dinner ready and we'd all sit down and eat together as a family. And then we'd talk for, you know, almost until it was bedtime. Um, and, and those, you know, that's where memories are made and those where decisions are made. And, um, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of uh, the times that's where you raise your kids. Um, so that's, that's really, uh, we've got one on the way in January and we'll be a, a few years removed or well away, uh, from being able to sit down and have dinner table conversations. But that's, that's going to be a big part of, uh, my family life, Lord willing. Uh, because, man, I think that was just vital, vital for me. So what you're saying to the audience is we have another good setter in the womb about ready to be born. <laughs> I don't know if we officially announced that to the good setters uh, audience. But, but it yeah. is it is public and it's on Facebook anyway. So why don't, why don't you make the official announcement? Uh, the announcement is official. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. And uh, so that that is an amazing thing. Of course, for me, I, I'm kind of excited because I'm going to be a grandfather for the third time and can't wait to see, uh, you know, just a, another beautiful child in this world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's funny because that whole consulting with your kids and listening to their ideas, that only grows once it gets started in those, you know, junior high, you know, high school years, it, it only gets, you know, for me anyway, my experience is it, it just became more valuable, more uh, frequent of times where, you know, I'll pick up the phone with Zach and say, okay, look, here's what I'm, I'm here's what I'm going through. Here's a decision I have to make. And, yeah, you're like, yo, grab the moleskin. We're going to Starbucks. We're gonna we're gonna plot this whole strategy out. You know, that was I think probably you know into your university years, right, where you were in college and or maybe you yeah. were still in high school. No, you were in college uh, when we. Yeah, I was, I was in college. Um, I mean, at at that point, man, you you guys had kind of cut me loose again with those, um, you know, with those boundaries, but. Um, really, I think the university years were a culmination of just um, love and mutual respect and encouragement in the high school years. Because you got to think if if um, you know I'm going to be in college and I'm going to I'm going to think about you know going to you guys first for whatever problems I'm facing. Um, there there would have had to be a base layer of 
respect and admiration for you guys um, underneath that before I could even say, okay, well, I'm in the university time and I'm going to have to stake my future on something. So whose advice do I want? Do I want my dad's advice or do I want Google's advice? You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, So I I love, I love uh, what you always say that you, you were, you were a resource for me in college and, and, and a consultant is, is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, because you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was interested in making the wrong decisions. It, it was, I was interested in making the right decisions. Um, and at that point I was, um, you know, at a point in my walk with Christ where I, I just wanted, I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I, I wasn't really into, um, you know, that uh, I just want to have fun. I just want the most money or I just want this, that, or the other. Uh, I just wanted to make the right choice. And so, you know, first and foremost, if you're looking at it from that perspective is, okay, well, um, the Bible says if you have a lot of advisors, right? Yeah. That means you're going to win the war, you know, many advisors and you're off to the right track. Yeah. So uh, you guys were always one of the first person, you were the first person that I came to, um, you know, and if you didn't have the answers that I was looking for, which I, I can't remember a time, then, you know, I had, I had a few other people that I can go talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, I mean, that's, you, you, you don't just get there. You know what I'm saying? You can't just not follow through on the previous years. And then when they go to college, expect them to respect your opinions. Right. Yeah. Um, because a lot of that's mutual. If why, why would I respect your opinions if you never respected mine? Right. Yeah. If I said, Hey, I wanted, I wanted to do this, that, and the other. And you said, absolutely not. I need you to do this, that, and the other, uh, you know, that sounds like a one-sided relationship. And then the, you know, at the first sign of freedom, get, guess who's moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that really is important. It's, it's actually in my notes that at that point, we as parents, and I'm talking about the adult years and going through university on up, because you're an adult at that point, it is not effective to be anything other than a consultant. And, you know, it's so it's so uh, rewarding when your kids come to you and ask you, hey, what would you do? Knowing full well, it, it, you don't have to do that. This is my perspective, and it may or may not be the right perspective, because ultimately, as, as parents, you want your kids or should want your kids to make the best decision. And you need to do what you can do to help them get to that, whatever decision that is, that's the best. If it's your idea, great. Love for it to be my idea. But if it's not my idea, guess what? I'm still happy because you've made the best decision. So, yeah, I think it's a great point, Zach. You know, being the the consultative approach to, to, you know, for men to raise adult men is is crucial. You know, you've got a kid that, that knows the boundaries um, you've got a, you've got a kid who, uh, has grown in confidence through those student years. And now you've taught him right and wrong. And now you're, you're that go-to consultant guy, at least the first in line to, to try to help him out. And there's been a lot of times too, where I've said, Hey, go get this person's perspective on it. Or what is, what does this guy say? You know, I know he's an influencer in your life, you know, and you kind of embrace that. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Well, let me shift boundaries a little bit. Um, 
to respecting boundaries. And, and now that you're <laughs> pregnant, not you, but your, your lovely wife, Jesslyn, now that she's pregnant, you've got a family coming, uh, you know, it's very important to um, respect boundaries. And, and, and I think you might say, well, that has more to do with me respecting your boundaries, but I, it does go, go both ways. So mm-hmm. um, we're very, very uh, conscious of that, that we never want our kids, you know, my son to feel pressure to do anything. You know what I mean? You know, see where yeah. I'm going with this. So, you know, talk to us a little, a little bit about that from your perspective, because, you know, you got two families involved. You've got, you know, in case when I was growing up, you had three because of uh, a split home. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you balance from your perspective? How do you balance this sort of the boundaries that we all need in our relationships? Because look, when you get married, that's your number one. Now you've moved right. away from your family, which was, you know, your dad and your mom, which was your number one. Now you've moved to your wife and you have your own family unit. And now she becomes your number one, right? Not your dad, not your mom. And then, so there has to be some healthy boundaries. Yeah. And well, just to put all my cards on the table initially, uh, I think being separated by what a thousand miles or so kind of helps with that a little bit. Um, but I, I do, I do think that, um, you know, we had to do a little bit of developing on our end, uh, in South Carolina with Jesslyn's parents. And, um, really it's, it's just, it's just, it's like I said, you have to be your, that first call, that first, whatever, that first phone call after something good happens at work or that first, um, that first call, something goes wrong needs to be, um, the other person. And, um, and honestly, too, I think you've got to learn how to do things separate. Um, I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, unfortunately. But um, we've really grown. I mean, I, those are things that you kind of work through in your first years of marriage. Me and Jessalyn are going on three, three years of marriage. Um, and so I think a big part of that, figuring out how that worked, was um, doing ministry together, honestly. Um, so like when we would, um, be at, at our own church, um, in North Augusta before we, uh, we were at true North church, this was years ago, probably before we were married. Um, it was really easy to, um, fall into the patterns of, of doing everything with mom, with mom and daddy, you know, and it was kind of the same way when, uh, when, when y'all were still in North Augusta, you know, it was, it was the Pearson family ministry and that's great. Don't get me wrong. Um, but when me and Jesslyn kind of stepped away and started serving in a place that, that we knew God, God wanted us to be. Uh, it really, it turned us more into a team that was really focused on, on our life, you know, right. um, not necessarily the family life. So that was really, that was really big. That might've been the turning point, um, in figuring out what that, what that looked like. And, um, you know, two, you got to think that, I, I mean, I, I am, um, so some weeks I spend more time at the church than I do at home. Um, so, you know, I'll be at home to sleep, but then I'll spend 30, 40 hours at the church. Um, and so not only is that a big commitment for me, but you gotta think that's a big commitment for Jesslyn too. Yeah. Um, and so she's able to, 
walk in ministry with me as I use my gifts um, to support me at home to allow me to do that. Um, so like I said, just, just being unified and just the direction that you want uh, your family to walk in and, and the mission that God has called you to, I think is a big part of creating those boundaries, which then if you set those boundaries up, then you get to control um, who, who gets past the boundaries, of course. So, you know, that's where you can be intentional about how you want to spend your time. You know, do we want to go and do uh, Christmas in Dallas or do we want to do Christmas here? Um, and it's, and you know, if you were just getting pulled, you know, by each individual family that's involved, then uh, you're, you're going to get pulled apart because you're going to have one family mad and the other family is upset and this, that, and the other. Um, so, you know, you've got to have boundaries in order, in order to, you know, open them up. Right. Exactly. But I, I would also add to that. You need, once you set those boundaries, you need parents who say, got it. Love you. No problem. Not, not parents who are going to say, well, maybe if I take this little barricade and move it over, I can park right there, but not, you know, so it's important that once you set up those boundaries, there, there is from the parental side, you know what? I get it. And I know you're, you're pressed in a lot of ways where I learned that from was my paternal grandparents, Ed and Ruth Pearson. They taught me the art of, you know what, whatever you guys got to do, we understand. We, we love any time we can get with you. Just do what's best for you. Now here's a little secret this is why you tuned in today. The secret is it's usually those parents who put no pressure on their kids who get the most time mm-hmm. with their kids. And, and I know that's, that's may not be true because of, of, you know, geography or whatever, but it becomes the most easiest and relaxed and and fun thing. And that's very important for parents to know. If you start hovering over your kids or you start trying to control your kids and where they spend holidays, you know what? You're going to lose out. I'm telling you, it is not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is respect your kids, respect their boundaries. And, and you know what? Because of that, there's a good chance that you're going to see a lot of upside from that. Now, I will also say this, that parents, they need to be, uh, their boundaries need to be respected too, because there's a lot of folks out there when they get a lot of kids and they, they've got families and the grandparents love to hang out. There are times where the grandparents just flat out need to be by themselves and need to say no to that Friday night and because they're not going to cancel their overnight plans, you know, in downtown or something, you know? So it just, it's funny how, how life just kind of takes you through this journey, but the mutual respect, right? Mm-hmm. Of Look, this is what we can do and having mutual grace on either side saying, totally get it. Love you. Um, that's, that's a, that's a great formula. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of wrap up, and this may be our longest segment, <laughs> talk about spiritual formation, leaving a spiritual legacy for the men in your life specifically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will tell you that the most 
the, the person that I've had the most spiritual conversations with have, have been my son. We, we talk, we debate, we don't always uh, agree with each other, but we've had, we've had some fun uh, conversations over the years about, about the church and about the direction of Western uh, Christianity and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very spirited discussion. I mean, we talked about Arminianism and, you know, Calvinism and, legalism and liberalism. I don't know. Pick a topic. What do you want to get into? Let's see if we we agree tonight. You know, I I guess this, this is kind of in in the same vein of what we've been talking about, but um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of this year I've really been studying about, you know, things that um, atheists believe about Christianity that it is flat out wrong. And this kind of goes hand in hand with, with, what turns a lot of men off with, uh, with Jesus and, um, kind of like, uh, Jesus is, is my boyfriend, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus is the sweet, is the sweet guy that, uh, loves me and makes things happen for me. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm being a little strange, yeah. uh, but that's, that's not who Jesus is. And, um, I, I really think that, that's that's a lot of what is um, wrong, you know. When you see the stats of, okay, well, there's seventy percent women um, serving in the church. I mean, I'm, I'm making that that stat up, but um, it, those those stats are lopsided, you know. And there's right. not very men, very many men involved um, in the church, and I think that's that's a big source of it. And it's because you know you read you read um, listen to Christian music, you read. Um, whatever so-and-so's got out, the best-selling author, and, and is on the front row of Lifeway Christian Church, or sorry, Lifeway Bookstore. Um, and and it's all about this feel feel good, oh, first date, meh. And, and a lot of men just aren't into that. But what they can get behind is this conquering, this conquering Jesus, that that paid the price, right? Settled the debt, settled the score that Jesus has the leader, not the boyfriend, right? You mm-hmm. see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah. We don't like femme Jesus. Yeah. Femme Jesus. We, we want the real Jesus. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's so true. And, and for many years, I think the men have taken a back seat in the spiritual authority of the home and you see it in the church, you see it in the, in the, the people that serve, like you said, and you know, it's time that, that we start out with, and it's me and you, and I know we're doing this, but you know, we've got to, to be the ones to say, look, following Christ is not convenient. Following Christ is not a two hour imposition in your day on Sunday when you, you have other things to do. Well, you know, the thing, and just to bring it back into into parenting and like you said following christ isn't isn't convenient all the time and you know i i would definitely jump in and say well hey parenting children to godliness and ultimately to enjoying one another is not convenient either um and another issue that the men have in our in our culture especially christian culture is that you know number one they're not getting involved they're taking a back seat in all in all things church Mm -hmm. but the second thing um and of course we can argue this but i've had conversations with a few guys that i trust and respect one of the big issues is we have a generation of men who worship comfort 
and and worship um, control, right? Right. And so um, they they just want the kids to mind. They just want there to be silence. And, you know, that might be a byproduct of, of you know, harsh working hours or, or what have you. But they also want uh, when duck season and deer season rolls around, they want their time in the stand or in the blind. And then when they get home, they just want the kids to shut up. Right. Yeah. And they just want peace and quiet. And honestly, um, you know, just, you know, get, getting to play uh, drums for uh, our youth ministry. Um, last week we had, I think it was 357 kids, seven kids there. And, you know, they're all, they're all dealing with stuff. And, um, you know, unfortunately when I was growing up, I was, I was really committed to um, the ministry. So I never really got to go to youth group. I was always, um, I was always serving with, uh, with my boys at relevant church in, in Tampa and, they took me under their wing, but let me just, this is my take and um, take it for what it is. I feel like a lot of what our kids are feeling in terms of pain that they see and in ways that they think they fall short because of what society says can all be fixed. If they have a father that gets eye level and just listens to them. Um, you know, cause so much of it is just talking down to these kids and, and there's a lack of mutual respect and, you know, to come full circle again. Um, but you talk about issues with young girls like bulimia or, um, anorexia and, you know, these girls think they're not beautiful and, you know, just, just like how, you know, we have to think, okay, where does my identity come from? Does it come from what we think because of who we see on TV or is it about what my heavenly father thinks? Right. And in that same way, I think a lot of that comes from what our earthly father thinks as well. Hmm. And so as, as fathers, we have to be as adequate as we can possibly be. Um, we have to be a mirror of what God thinks of these kids. Right. And, try as hard as we can to get as close as possible to that because that's when these kids see, okay, I am loved. Number one, number two, I am heard. And number three, I'm not who this culture says I am. I'm, I am, I'm a child of God, 100%. And like I said, I just, I really wish that we as a culture would just listen more um, and, and, and get eye to eye, you know, face to face and just, Love on one another. You know, following Christ is not convenient. And Z-Man said it so well. Leaving a legacy is not convenient either. So I'm taking Jesslyn to uh, Fenway Park. Do you you remember when um, when you guys took took me there when I was eight? I took you there, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure I remember licking the green monster. Did you ever do that? <laughs> I didn't lick the green monster. 